Welcome to Community of Resistance, the podcast where I talk to the people who do the work of resisting the empire to try to give those folks who are interested in activism and advocacy the kinds of practical tools they need to pursue justice and peace. On today's show, I'm lucky enough to be speaking to Holly Karimi. Hale was born in Tehran and left Iran at the age of 14 to attend school in the United States and later in Switzerland. Having lived in lands of change, Iran and United States, and one of peace, Switzerland, her passion in life has become to raise awareness of global issues about peace and justice through education and dialogue. She's been an IT executive working in Fortune 500 companies for over 18 years, She's currently the executive director of Interfaith Paths to Peace after being on the board for a decade and the past chair of WAC to pursue her passion for peacemaking. As for her educational passion, Halle is a teacher and a student at the same time, pursuing her doctorate studies at Sullivan University, as well as being the chair of the Dynamic Web Development Department at Sullivan College of Technology and Design a design school that promotes art and technology for more enriched graduates. She's also the co-chair of Science and Engineering Advisory Board, as well as the past chair of the Network of Entrepreneurial Women. She's been living in the United States for 37 years, 26 of which have been in Louisville, and that's good for us. Welcome, Halle. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Derek. Uh, for sure. I'm really, I'm really excited about getting a chance to talk to you. Uh, but before we get started, uh, tell me just a little bit how you got acquainted with uh, Interfaith Paths to Peace, and we'll probably refer to it as IPP through the show, but I just want to make sure everybody knows what that acronym stands for. I got to know Interfaith Paths to Peace right after 9-11, actually. Um, you mentioned that I am from Iran, and I am a Muslim, and um, after 9-11, um, I had to question my faith. I really wanted to know that this religion that I was born into really resembles what the media was portraying at the time, which right now is, you know, hundred times worse. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, or, or or not, I really was on a pursuit of truth, find my true uh, faith, and. So therefore, I started uh, uh, studying Quran and studying my faith, and I got to know IPP, and I got to know the director of the, the previous director of the organization, and um, we did some events together to bring in scholars for my personal uh, knowledge gain, and as well as uh, the community. And then I learned, and I, I really, really admired what they were doing. And on the fifth. Uh, year commemoration of 9-11, I was invited to join um, 40 other, well, 39 other pilgrims from the nation to do a five-day program from uh, uh, Abbey at Gethsemane all the way to the Muhammad Ali Center for five consecutive days. And um, Wow. I, yeah, I was, at a time I was working at a local corporate organization, uh, non, I mean, Fortune 500 company. And, um, so being an executive, I couldn't just get off work and go for five days and walk for five days with, with <laughs> peacemakers. But, uh, eventually, you know, I got to convince myself that maybe I should, I just couldn't delete that email when I received it. So I joined them on 
stayed two and we walked for three days. I walked with them for three days. And it was during um, one of those days and the contemplation came into me and I realized it's time to give. And on, I, I had no idea it was um, on the day of 9-11, but um, the director told me later um, that it was on that day that I um, uh, referenced him because he was telling the other pilgrims that I've been asking Holly to join our board. And she keeps on saying that she's too busy. She can't give her time. <laughs> and then I said, maybe this is a good time to do that. And um, he was just shocked. So that was the day I joined the Interfaith Paths to Peace and I've been with them ever since. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, the way you and I met was around the time uh, of the controversy over the Syrian refugees. And this is late 2015, uh, early 2016. And during that time afterward, there were so many, there were so many problems in the world. uh, And we wound up being a part of I wound up being a part of a number of prayer vigils that you had put together. And I was so impressed by your ability to draw so many people together uh, from a variety of different faiths and, and how important that seemed to me in the atmosphere that we were dealing with, which was one of great fear and terror. Mm-hmm. So I've thought some about what these prayer vigils do from my, my from my standpoint, what do you what, what do you think about when a prayer vigil is the most appropriate response? When you have a sense that the community is at the most stage of fear, and 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 uh, at ease with their own fates and with the face of the other, I have to say, you know, misinformation, lack of information has created. Uh, this this ever increasing polarization in our world, not just in our community, but it's a global issue that we need to address. And when a terrorist attack happens, and you notice that um, people are are um, insecure, they're afraid, uh, they're not sure about the unknown, they're not sure about their own friends, they're not sure about their own fates, and they're starting to question everything. And that is the intention of those terrorists or, or those people that they want to create hate or generate hate and division amongst us. That is the time that we need to stand up together side by side, shoulder by shoulder, and remind the community that regardless of our differences, at the end of the day, we are all the same. And we use our individual voices from all faiths and traditions, even the Native Americans, we bring them and join, they join with us and to show that there is no difference amongst us. And the only difference is the, the, the path that we have chosen, but all of our paths, they go towards the same direction. And that is the path of peace. Do you think that religion has often been the most divisive part of our social lives together. But this is also a time that uh, you, you, you've chosen to work with people, to draw them together, to, um, to make religion a kind of focus for 
peacemaking. So there's, it feels like there's this kind of tension between, you know, people have a bad opinion of religion. They think that it is the source of the problem. And yet when we have these prayer vigils, religion is sort of held up as a means to unify people. Do you, I mean, do you, do you get mm-hmm. the sense of how the, the, the that mm-hmm. kind of tension yes, plays out? I, 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 I do. And that's, that's why um, we need to have these vigils at those moments that people start thinking twice about their own faith and thinking twice about the other faith. And I have personally experienced that, as I told you earlier about, you know, 9-11 and what happened. And I started questioning my own faith and I had to pursue the truth to find the truth and then come back and join my other brothers and sisters as one. So I, the, the whole intention of these vigils is to bring everybody together and, and share our different voices as a reminder to those that are starting to doubt their own faiths and say, hey, there is no reason to doubt it. There is no reason to allow this faith or religion that has been questioned to penetrate into, my, into your mind towards more hate and, and, and div- division. We need to stop that. And that's what we try to do at our vigils is stop that hate, stop that division that those terrorists are trying to or attempting to make and give them hope. You know, many of them, they come in, they're feared, they're scared, they're insecure, um, they're hurt, they're mourning. You know, many of us at the mourning phase when, when those things happen, it's not... You know, if you have a little bit of um, humanity in you, when you see something that that horrible happens and then innocent people die because someone chose to make that act to um, happen, we, we all start to go into that mourning phase. You saw me at one of the vigils. Uh, it was, it, it's, it's mm-hmm. sometimes it's very challenging to hold your emotions together and, be that force of inspiration for them. But that's what we got to do. And that's what we will do. It occurs to me that uh, one of the great virtues of these prayer vigils is that it allows us to come into contact with people that ordinarily we just don't have occasion to to engage with. Uh, I, I, I've met some really special friends uh, through these prayer vigils, uh, who are clergy mm-hmm. from other faiths, and 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 they certainly strengthen my mm-hmm. faith in my own tradition. And I'm thinking about the the service we had at the mosque uh, at, after the the death of Muhammad Ali, and my mom, who uh, really doesn't have didn't have any experience with Muslims. Um, uh, you know, living up in in uh, Western Michigan, where there's a pretty heavy e- evangelical population, uh, but she came with me to that when I spoke, and she sat next to uh, another Muslim woman, and I went up there to speak, and the Muslim woman sort of leaned over to my mom, and she said, "Is that your son?" And my mom said, "Yeah, that's that's my son," and. And she said, which I think is pretty funny. She said, Aww. he's a prophet. 
Well, all of a sudden, the whole thing changed for my mom. I mean, I think she was open to the whole experience, but she got to sort of engage with someone of another faith tradition on a kind of human level. And that made that, that, that has shifted the perspective. And I wonder if you have, uh, if you think that that's part of what the experience of having these privileges offers. Absolutely. I don't want to promote interfaith paths to peace, but one of the reasons I fell in love with IPP is because of that. The mission of IPP is twofold. The faith understanding and peacemaking. Mm -hmm. There is no way you can have peace if you do not have interfaith understanding. And how do you create that interfaith understanding? Through face-to-face interactions. You can give lectures, all the lectures that you want, you can do webinars, you can do events, you can, you can um, do any, any, anything that you can think of, an educational series, classes, um, have them read books and things like that. Nothing beats that face-to-face, oh, I'm so sorry, nothing beats that face-to-face interaction. It is true that human-to-human conversation that you gain that moment of peace creation. I think that so many times what you explained to me is is just so delightful to hear what you just said. And do you know how many times I've gone to churches and um, as soon as to speak about Islam or Islamophobia, and as soon as they see me, they are shocked because they would think that, you know, um, that someone... Uh, from a Muslim faith has to come in with a burqa or if it's a woman and it's a man uh, you know different shape and different form not like somebody like me and then when we get a chance to have a conversation with one another they totally change they change when they have an opportunity to hear you listen to you as a human being not as um, you know a post that they see in their social media or something that they see on TV. That is what we try to do. And if you come to our events, you see that we have people of all faiths at our events. And because that's what we want to do. At the end of the day, what we have to do as activists is to be responsible to create an opportunity for peace. That's what we should do. And and, and the creation of those opportunities for peace comes in the face-to-face interaction between people who are from different cultures, different faith traditions, and uh, being able to see one another as human beings. I think, that's, I think that's such a wonderful image of the way that peace mm-hmm. is created together. It's a kind of mutual work that we have to do mm-hmm. with one another, not in theory, yes. but in, in practice. Active. Let me let, let me get ask you uh, some practical questions about how one organizes a, a, a prayer vigil. So, say something happens uh, that there is, for example, the uh, a threat to the synagogue or the temple, or there is a vandalism of a mosque, or there's some kind of terrorist situation somewhere. What, what's the first thing you do when, when you think, ah, now is a time 
we need to bring everybody together and pray. First and foremost, I try to secure a location. And so the location mm-hmm. needs to be a, 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 a good location, a meaningful location. You know, when we had the, obviously the mosque defacing, it definitely was happening at the mosque defacing. When um, JCC was attacked, we did it at JCC. Uh, when Charlotte's... The Jewish Community Center. Yeah. Um, When Charlottesville happened, um, in less than 24 hours, we had a vigil. And that one, I felt like it needed to be an outdoor vigil and not an indoor vigil. Because when when you do, um, when we set up an vigil, I mean, it happens really fast. Because you got to move fast and you got to get things done right away. Because that's the time when people need you. You need to be there for them and provide them a moment to heal and a moment to unite with one another and give them hope and inspiration to move on during these morning days, a morning phase. And um, so you can't wait for the right moment. So the right moment is ASAP, as soon as possible. Get it done and get people together. Charlottesville, we chose it up. Like I'm, I'm just giving you different examples Um it all depends to the event that happened, unfortunate event that happened. You pick the location. We picked Charlottesville for it to be an outdoor one because I thought that um, there are many that may not know about the vigil and they might benefit from it. And some that may, might be enlightened a little bit by it. Um, and so we purposely did it on a busy road outside on Barson Road. And sure enough, mm-hmm. we had many bystanders that were passing by and they heard the messages of our speakers and they paused and they stay, stayed and they joined us. Um, and then we also had people that they were there to disturb us as well, but not in a mm-hmm. violent way, but like by, you know, making noise with their cars or motorcycles and things like that and move on their way. Um, but the ones that they stayed and they came up to me afterwards and they thanked me for, um, um, having it in a situation that they learned about it because otherwise they would have not known. And they really, um, benefited from it. They were, they were calmer and, you know, and, and much at ease with the situation, um, with themselves and also with their families too. Which is exactly what you want, right? I mean, because pe- people are, times are tense and people are sort of on edge. And to be able to offer uh, a space in which people can can come away feeling calm and 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 at peace mm-hmm. that's that's a real service. Yep. yep, that's that's the plan. That is our goal to create that moment of inner peace because. Once you have that peace, you know, that inner peace, and when is that shaken, that's the time for us to come back and remind you, hey, you have it. Stay strong and go Mm -hmm. forward. And um, so these are the things that these vigils do. And our speakers, and you've been to many of them, unfortunately, and fortunately for the community. Um, But, um, you know, um, our speakers are phenomenal. They are inspirational. And the ones that you, you spoke and the, the Muslim lady from the mosque and said that you are a prophet. I, I don't remember what you said, 
What I will say, she's right. <laughs> nah. <laughs> she, well, my mom thought she was anyway. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that brings me to, to an important question. Mm-hmm. How do you go about selecting speakers? And then how do you contact them and ask them to, 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 to speak at a prayer vigil? Mm-hmm. You won't believe it. I mean, I, for, the, for, the, for the Charlottesville... I was at a grocery store and I was just walking in there and I was feeling guilty. I am here buying food, whereas others are, you know, are in the morning phase or hurt or in, in fear and something's got to do. Mm-hmm. Something has to happen. Something's got to be done. And um, so it was right then I started calling you all. Um, and I, you know, um, you mentioned, you know, you and I met in late 2015, early 2016, and that's when um, I became the director of IPP. And so it was a huge shift for me from coming from the board side to the staff side. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, that was the year, my first year, that we witnessed way, way too many terrorist attacks. Yes. We had to have way too many vigils. I felt like every month we had one. That was so, you know, it was it was really terrible. Um, but we did it. We did it because the community needed it, and you guys were there to help and allow that opportunity to come together and heal as one. And um, so in the beginning, it was basically who I knew uh, was available uh-huh. I would just call them and say, hey, we're having a vigil. Would you be interested to speak on behalf of your faith? This is all what I would say. And you probably heard that way too many times from me. And um, <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I, 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 I always uh, am pleased when you, when you call. You. Thank you. Thank you for your contribution mm-hmm. from creating peace. And uh, for now, but, but now I'm a bit more seasoned, unfortunately, in a way, uh, because it, it depends. It depends on the situation and it depends on who would be the key person to speak up. You know, like when we had the Charlottesville, um, I really needed to have the Muslim community and I really needed to have the Jewish community and the Baptist community to speak up. Right. And so um, I had really strong speakers to speak on behalf of those faiths. So you just have to judge uh, based on the event, the situation, and see who is available to make the, the best impact for peace creation. And that's the person you want to ask to come and speak up. And, um, you know, so for sure, you know, we had quite a bit of uh, Jewish members to speak, you know. Um, and then also mm-hmm. our, our, our um, city leaders, uh, I'm not shy away from asking our chief of police to speak up. And if he is available, he, he most of the times right. he comes, and I think he was a, some of them that you were as well. Uh, oh, yeah. Our mayor is always there. Our uh, congressman, God bless our congressman, you know, we... Yes, you indeed. Know, John Yarmouth. Yarmouth. He is phenomenal. And he is always available to give to the community. 
And um, so we are so thankful and grateful to have such leaders like that in our city because it's through their leadership that we can come together and keep that cohesiveness of our, of our solidarity, you know? Well, if, the, if somebody who's listening to the podcast is, thinks this is a good idea, but doesn't have many, may not have any interfaith contacts, what, what, are, what are some ways that someone could, could begin to lay the groundwork for the relationships that are necessary to, to bring people together? How could somebody begin to have access to the interfaith community? If, well, have them Google. Have them Google interfaith in whatever city that they're in and see something pops up. If it doesn't, maybe it's time for them to create one. And it's not that hard to do. All you need to do is just start calling some churches and synagogues. And if there's a mosque, call them and say, this is what I want to do. I want to create uh, a, a, an, an organization of all faiths together and uh, identify what their mission would be. I don't want to say it for them, but our mission is peacemaking and interfaith understanding because they go hand in hand. They can pick you know, their mission mm-hmm. and then say who wants to join them and then do that. We, um, um, I have had many people from surrounding uh, Louisville area that they come and they visit with mm-hmm. me and they ask, how do I do it? And I tell them that. I said, all you got to do is start with, with a few. You don't need to have a lot. You know, you could start with three, four, and then eventually it just grows by itself because people will come and they hear and they say, oh, my God, this is phenomenal. I want to be part of it. And then little by little, over time, it grows and it gets bigger and more impactful. One of the examples is um, the Interfaith Council in Frankfurt. They came to our office and I gave them a little bit of an Interfaith 101 session. To I think five of them came to our office and we sat down and we laid out the plan for, for them. And, and it all boils down to have some three, four key people that are really, really determined to make it happen and have them put their energy together and make it happen. It's not that hard to do, honestly. It's not. You can start small and you grow big, but they can call the mosques. I'm sure every city that anyone is living has a mosque, probably has a synagogue (laughs) and and Mm -hmm. definitely churches. And call and talk to their leaders and say, would you like to join this force for the, for the betterment of their community? And I'm sure people will be receptive to that. Who wouldn't be? One of the things that I really seized on when, I was, when, I've, when I've gone to IPP's webpage is that phrase that says, we believe peace mm-hmm. is a verb. You can't sort of just obtain it. Like it's not something you can possess. It is something that must be created. And if it's going to be created, then that means it's going to take some intentionality and some some work on the part of those people who have an investment in the outcome of peace. And I, I, I love the idea of doing a kind of survey of your own community and seeing if there are people who are working in interfaith, are doing mm-hmm. interfaith work. And if there aren't, then then you should be perhaps someone who starts it. 
I think that's such an empowering uh, way of, 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 of thinking about it because, um, as you and I uh, have spoken, uh, we can't wait for the next Dr. Martin Luther King. We're, we're, we can't wait for the next Gandhi. We can't wait for the next Muhammad or Jesus or Buddha. We, we have to, somebody's going to have to wake up one day and say, I don't care if anybody else does. I'm going to do yep. this work. I, I, yep. You said it exactly correctly. That is so true. Um, Gandhi, God bless his soul. What did he say? Be the change you want to see. That is so, so true. We can no longer wait for another person to make it happen and say, oh, you know, those days that we used to have this and that. And what, what, what happened to those days? Well, those days are in the past and the days ahead are ahead of us. We need to seize the moment at the present time, work together now to be able to have a better future, not just for ourselves, but for the future generation. You know, I, I, um, as a mother of, you know, four children, I want to leave a legacy for those kids so they, they'll be proud of my generation for what we have done to create a more peaceful world for them. And I think if all of us mm -hmm. work towards that direction, we might have an opportunity for peace. But if we all, if all of us work every day to create more hate and division, what kind of world are we going to live? You know, give to our children, the future generation. Just think about that. Think about Indeed. that. Indeed, if you're responsible for organizing an interfaith prayer vigil, what are some things that people should keep in mind when it comes to dealing with different faith traditions? Uh, how should they approach this? work, uh, knowing that different faith traditions have different uh, kinds of etiquette. What are, what are some things that people ought to keep in mind, practically speaking, when doing interfaith work? Well, you know, you got to be cognizant of the, a cultural tradition as well. So interfaith and intercultural, they go hand in hand. You know, people mm -hmm. come from different faiths, meaning they could be coming from different, different nationalities, different cultures and they have different traditions and you need to be cognizant of it. Um, whomever is going to be the organizer, you know, they look up to the organizer. So if, if you're respectful to all of them, therefore the others will, will follow through. But if you are not, then they might show their biasness one way or another. So you need to be, whomever is going to be uh, leading the vigil, needs to be the pious one. The, the, the one who sets the tone. Yes, that's it. It sets the tone, and, and then the rest of it is like, okay, this is what I got to do. You, you feed the energy, you, you, give the, and you give them the inspiration to the speakers so you could have a more impact for the community. But if you're just coming and you're unsure, you're not 100% um, behind it, then it's not going to resonate with the speakers. And the speakers are not going to be as inspirational as you want them to be. So you just, you got to be yourself. You got to act from your heart, not speak from your heart, but act from your heart and, and show them that we need to do this for the better of the humanity and our community. We got to do it. Once they understand that message, then they can relay that to the community 
and therefore your vigil becomes a successful one. And and um, one thing that I'm always um, aware of when we have vigils is I want to make sure that I have a representative of of at least one representative of different faiths speaking, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also have equal balance between um, men and women speakers. I, I, I don't want to have like all females actually one time, um, you know, it, it was, it was going to happen when it was about to go forward. It looked like 90% women. And then only I had like one or two guys speaking, which was, Oh no, we got to fix this. So we added more speakers to keep it balanced. So you want to keep it balanced. So you won't be, uh, lopsided or skewed from one gender to another. So you want to make sure that you, you stay uh, neutral between all races, all faiths, all traditions, and allow anyone who wants to speak as an inspirational speaker, allow their voices to be heard. It's important. And knowing that there is there is some hesitation, if not out, outright hostility, on the part of some people in the community to uh, people of other faith, there's sometimes some negativity generated. As you mentioned about uh, the prayer vigil surrounding Charlottesville, uh, that there, there are people who, who think that interfaith work is dangerous precisely because it gives, it gives a seat at the table to people they don't think ought to be invited to the table. And when that happens... How do you deal with that kind of negativity against uh, one or another religion? At the vigil or other places? Well, at at a vigil in particular, but other places too. Part of our um, spirituality university courses that we offer through IPP, one of them is Introduction to Islam, and then another one is Islamophobia. And mm-hmm. I, I had the opportunity to speak, I don't know, maybe 30, 30 some U.S. Army chaplains in, in Louisville when they were here for a, a day seminar on this very topic. And, uh-huh. and, and in the beginning, when I started speaking and comparing the similarities and differences of, of uh, the three Abrahamic faiths, um, one of them spoke up and said, how could you, in a very um, not nice tone, um, Mm -hmm. compare your God with my God? They're not the same. You guys have like, what you know, I don't know what you have, but your God is not mine. So don't you, don't you compare them uh, with my faith? And, um, you know, at that time, what do you do? This is a chaplain telling you this. So I told him, I said, would you mind um, uh, to just sit and and uh, be heard? Let me explain, you know, my justifications. And then, then you can make a decision. Uh, but for now, could you just... Uh, stay neutral and listen. How did he do? Did he did he did he take you up on uh-huh. it? And so he sat there, and he well, he was not the only one. There were a few other ones in there too. They started voicing their opinions similar to his, and so it wasn't like the only person in the room that was um, questioning this whole thing. And um, actually, another one 
was saying that what are you talking about Islamophobia? Because I was saying this is a, a multi-million dollar business uh, to just uh, create hate and division, and that's what the money is being spent on. And I was showing them data based, I mean, real facts, not arti- you know alternative facts, real facts, giving them. <laughs> data and saying that these are the organizations, this is the name of the, the head of this organization, this is how much they've spent in 2015, this is how much they spent in 2016, this is the places. That, I mean, I had these kind of data, and they were still questioning. Um, but, but by the time I was done and finished, two of them came up to me, shake my hands, and said, Salaamu Alaikum. Wow. And the other one came up to me, and said this was one of the best presentations he's ever heard, and he had tears in his eyes. And I said, oh, my God. I mean, like, my Allah did his work. I was uh-huh. instrument that day for them to speak. That's all I did. I used my business savvy knowledge, you know, from the corporate world, you know, and then my academic knowledge that I have from the – educational world put them together and try to relate this message of peace to them and it worked that's what i'm saying i mean that face-to-face interaction it makes a huge difference that's when you can make the change that's when you can create peace and that's what we got to do create those moments for people to have human to human conversation not a not a not a monologue Monologues do not work, but when you have human-to-human conversation, and and the smaller it is, the better. But if it's bigger, then have that opportunity for people to mingle, and, and just like the one in the, at the mosque, or you know when we do the recipe, my you know, recipe for peace, or do the mm-hmm. Thanksgiving dinner. Um, those are the times that they sit at the table. And they, they have an opportunity to converse with people of the other that they're not familiar with. And hopefully that stereotype will um, shatter or disappear for lo- at least for a little while, you know. Um, and that's how we can. And so that's what, we, that's, what I, that's what I do when I see those moments happen. Um, the best thing to do when people start coming at you the best thing to do is stay calm and provide them information and facts and keep at it. And eventually they get it. If they don't get it, then it's, there's no hope. You move on and you go for the others. And it happened. Um, I was at uh, Interfaith uh, Council of um, Frankfurt, and there was one. In, I actually asked them if there are any, before I start the Islamophobia sessions, I asked them, I say, is there anybody in this room that doubts that Islamophobia is just a term and it doesn't it it it, it does not it doesn't exist? And I want to know if they are there. So that inspires mm-hmm. me and energizes me to work harder to, to in my delivery of in my delivery of message to them. And um, in Frankfurt there was one, and he was probably rose his hand and he said, "I am." And I don't think there's such a thing as Islamophobia. Islam is a religion of, of, of hate and violence, and it, it shouldn't exist. By the end of it, I asked him, was I able to change your mind a little bit? And he nodded his head and said no. Well, some people are, are so committed to the belief that they are, you know, that their faith is the only one 
Um, and that, that if their faith is valid, then that must mean that all other faiths are somehow invalid. And as you say, there's not much you can do to change someone's mind who's so determined not to have the mind yeah, changed. That's right. It's sad, though. It's sad to see that um, when they're that stuck in their frame of mindset that they don't want to come out of it and give peace a chance or open up the venue for for um, um, an opportunity to get to know the other person or the other that they're not familiar with. They're just like, nope, this is not what I'm asking for. This is not what I believe in and I'm not going to change my mind. It is what it is and they move on and uh, unfortunately, I don't know what kind of a world will they be living for their future generation. Not a good one. Indeed. But I, I'm, I, I wonder if, I, well, I suspect that you would probably say that the positive interactions uh, are, they outweigh the negative oh, ones. Oh, Absolutely. If it wasn't, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. No, that's a good point. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. We had um, <laughs> this this past year, according to FBI, it was the uh, second year in a row since 2011 um, that we have seen a steady increase of hate and division in our country. And SPLC said the same thing. Um, hate and division was the highest last year. Okay? So at the height uh -huh. of the escalation of um, hate and extremism in our country, last year, a little bitty interfaith paths to peace got uh, awarded with the art of inclusion from Center for Nonprofit Excellence which is an organization that um, is, you know, teaches all the other nonprofits to be a center of excellence. And they recognize sure. us as an organization that is promoting inclusion in our community. And we were awarded for it and being recognized in the community as part of it. So that was our report card, I say. All right. So at the height of, <laughs> at the height of uh, hate and division, Identify by FBI, identify by SPLC, identify by CARE. Here we are. We get, we get the award for Art of Inclusion. So not bad. Yes, I am moving forward, full force. <laughs> well, that's such, a, that's, a, that's such a great way to end uh, our conversation. I'm so happy to get a chance to talk to you. Your presence in the community is one that continues to bring hope to so many people the work that you do and the work that ipp does you've gathered around yourself some some really wonderful uh people on your board and i know that uh that louisville is a much better place because of the work that you do yeah. so I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me uh today Halle. this has been very helpful. You are so welcome, Derek, and thank you. And our community is a better community because of you and your work. 
and you never cease a moment to stand up and speak up. So I appreciate what you do for us to have this community continuously to be enriched towards that path to peace. So thank you as well. Well, God bless you. And my mother thanks you too. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I want to thank my guest, Holly Karimi, Executive Director of Interfaith Paths to Peace. And I want to thank you for tuning in to Community of Resistance. Until next time.